At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. And it sure does, everybody. Welcome live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York's Times Square. This is Fast Money. I'm Tyler Matheson in for Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, Guy Adamian. Tonight on Fast, we got Netflix taking a tumble today. Has the streaming pioneer reached its peak? Peak Netflix. And what will it mean for the rest of the cord cutting world? Plus, Chevron announcing a big change, a charge, excuse me, in the fourth quarter. But one of our traders says this stock is primed to pop. He will make his case ahead. And later, Lululemon posting earnings after the bell tomorrow. How options traders are getting ready for that print. But we start with a D.C. triple play. The House moving forward on impeachment against President Trump. Congress reaching a bipartisan deal. When was the last time you heard bipartisan deal on a new NAFTA? And we have some late-breaking developments on the trade war with China as the clock ticks toward a new round of tariffs that will kick in this weekend. Let's get to Kayla Tausche, live in Washington in our D.C. newsroom for more on all three of these stories. Hey, Kayla. Hey, Tyler. One of the two major variables on trade got solved earlier today. As you mentioned, House Democrats announcing a deal with the White House on USMCA. Negotiators from the U.S., Mexico and Canada in Mexico City to sign and fet the revised deal. The Senate will not vote on this until after an impeachment trial. Some Republicans have raised concerns about how union-friendly the deal is, even as Speaker Pelosi is confirming that the House will vote next week. We're declaring victory for the American worker and what is in this agreement. But we would never, not any one of us, is important enough for us to hold up a trade agreement that is important for American workers because of any collateral benefit that might accrue to any one of us. The White House is aiming to have the text to the Hill by December 15th. That's the same day that new China tariffs could go into effect. In the last week, economic advisor Larry Kudlow, Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin, and Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross have suggested talks are on track and President Trump could delay tariffs only if the U.S. receives enough concessions in return. But others have gone further. Take a look at what Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue said yesterday. He said, quote, we have a deadline coming up on December 15th for another tranche of tariffs. I do not believe those will be implemented, and I think we may see some backing away. The main reason for many officials' reluctance to speak for President Trump is that they say he always has the final say, and he has surprised some of them in the past. Tyler? All right, Kayla, thank you very much. And all this trade talk comes, of course, as House Democrats revealed formal articles of impeachment against President Trump today. So how should investors position themselves, given all the political uncertainty around tariffs, impeachment, Brexit? You pick your pick your uncertainty, Pick guy. your poison, Ty. Pick your poison, guy. So it's interesting. You're what here tonight. Last <laughs> evening, Brian Sullivan was not feeling well. I can tell you're playing hurt as well. Well, so we got, we got some nice green tea here. here. We're going to... Right? You got a little hit. Well, now, forget about me. It's not about me. It's about Tyler Matheson. What was your question? I'm kidding. I will answer your question. There's always political uncertainty. I mean, this has been going on now for 18 months or so. There's nothing new on the margins. And listen, I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen. I don't even think President Trump knows what he's going to do Saturday at midnight. 
But I'll say this, with the market at all-time highs, with the China data being miserable, I think he feels he has pocket aces and he's going to play this through. I do think he goes forth with these tariffs midnight on Saturday evening. Let's, let's take impeachment first, because I think of that rather as the easy one. Right. Because barring some new bombshell revelation, I think most of us on this desk kind of know how it's going to play out. Right. right? I think this, is, this isn't market moving at all unless the Senate does something very unexpected. Or unless somebody comes out and testifies with new information that we don't know yet. Right. I, think, I just think that that's not going to happen. Let me follow up with a question about trade. What if there is, if these tariffs on Sunday do not go into effect, no new tariffs, no new taxes, and no deal? What happens to the market then? You, you, keep the same, you keep the same tariffs that have been in place, in place, but nothing else changes. I think that's a mild positive. I think there is some of, you know, guys predicting that he goes forward with the tariffs. There's some of that priced into the market. So if we, if we get rid of that, even if they kick the can down the road, let's say they do another 60 days, I think that's a mild positive for the market. There's a little good cop, bad cop, isn't there, going on in the administration. <laughs> Some say, we're getting close, we're getting close. Sonny Perdue says, I don't think these April, uh, the December 15th tariffs are going to go into effect. And then the president holds back a little bit and others say this. I mean, that's what's going on here, yeah, right? You know, you know, listen, I, I think the market has actually been taking all this news in stride over the last couple months. And I think the market has priced in the fact that um, even if there are tariffs on December 15th, they won't be for too long. And I think it's really important to put this in the context of this U.S. MCA, this NAFTA 2.0. You have to go back and think about in May when they lifted the aluminum and the steel tariffs that had been on, I think, for close to a year. Okay, And now we're finally getting to the point of ratifying that. It's kind of the other way around here when you think about what's going on with China. We have all these tariffs in place, but they're really just these chess pieces, and we know that the big things are yet to come. So you can do whatever you want with these December 15th tariffs right now. I don't think it makes a big deal, because the big issues, the reason why the president has weaponized tariffs is in an effort to really kind of level the playing field with China, and that's not coming anytime soon. So my view, very simply, is that the phase one is already priced in here. I don't think you get some big pop when we get some sort of announcement about soybeans, um, it really is about Agreed phase two and phase three. Agreed on the soybeans, yeah. and I do think we probably kick this can down the road. And, that, and it gives us 60, maybe it's 90 days, Tyler, again, to try to get something pieced together. And I still think it's something that, will we see it maybe get kicked down again? I think that's a strong possibility. I think this is something where the president is in a position right now where, quite frankly, there, I don't know how he's trying to manipulate this exactly, but my guess would be, let's push this thing further and further down. If we can ever get to the point where we can get any real negotiations done, great. Otherwise, I'm looking at November before we start to really see something. But I, I would say that I think there would be a slight positive, to your point, Karen, if they say, you know what, we're just not going to do anything with these tariffs for now and buys us 90 days. Because we've already seen that happen a couple of different times. Volatility is trading at a 16 right now. That makes a lot of sense because of the movements we've been getting generally. 1% moves, it feels like, almost daily. So everything seems to be priced about right. I think the bullish side of things would be going into the holiday season if we didn't raise these tariffs again. It feels to me like uh, the administration is comfortable with the tariffs that are in place. Yes. Because the economy does not seem to have been affected by it in a major way. It probably is hurting China more than it's hurting the United States. And we could go forward that way for a long time. Well, I just want to interrupt real quickly. I'm sorry. It has affected our economy. I mean, you have to remember, this administration was talking 3%, 4% GDP growth. You know what I mean? After this tax cut. So, you know, the tax cut 
did do what it was expected to do for a good part of 2018. And then the trade war started. And it didn't only start with China. It started with our allies in, in North America. It started with our allies in Europe. And it has been a drain on global growth. And I'll give you Exhibit A. The 10-year Treasury yield at 1.84 after the Fed cut three consecutive Fed fund rates at meetings starting in July. So it has had a material effect and in a lot of ways on on the economy. In a lot of ways, it's outdone the expected good of the tax cut in late 2017. So I actually think we have as much incentive to get these these tariffs off the global Would economy. Would you argue that it's affected the market? I, I disagree. I well, disagree. Actually. Okay. Well, How about it? I, this I, side I, of the desk goes okay. against yeah. you on this yeah. whole thing. Go. I think that what markets hate most is uncertainty, right? I think that businesses and um, CEOs and decision makers and capital allocators are comfortable knowing what it is. So let's say we knew 15%, that's it, those are the tariffs, or whatever the number is, but they're not going to change. Then people adjust. Right. And I think businesses adjust and there's certainty and certainty trades much better than lumpy uncertainty. Yeah. And and I think also when you're when you're looking at this thing, Dan, the one thing where I would put a little bit of pushback is the slowest growth in 30 years for China. Right. I mean, that does have a meaningful thing, I think, affecting China in terms of the middle class and everything else that we talk about all the times of why everybody wants to be in China. Well, the, the idea that also that I think people are finding some efficiencies by saying, you know what, we don't want to completely rely on China anymore, and we are seeing some of that moving away to other parts of the world, which will help some of the rest of the world, but China is going to feel a little bit more and a little bit more over time. Now, it will take some time, but I still think that they are hurting far worse than we are. We're at all-time highs in the market generally. I mean, if you look at it right now, we've got a lot of strength. Those job numbers were fantastic. So there's a lot of positives. Yeah, I, think, I, just see, I just see it really differently. You know, the tax cut was a trillion and a half dollars borrowed from the future, given to the donor and the corporate class, okay? And then we had this mid-quarter adjustment as far as rate cutting, okay? I mean, when you think about everything that's done, we've had the stealth QE4 in this year that the S&P is up 25%. I don't really care that the S&P 500 is up 25% when we're talking about the issues that we're talking about. The question was, what have the tariffs done? What has the trade war done for the global economy? And it's undeniable after all that stimulus that we have had that it has basically been uh, the foot on the neck of the global economy. That's on just the global great. economy, but not on the U.S. economy. You, well, but Pete, point. we're growing at 2%, okay? And that's the average over the last 10 years. And what has happened in the last 10 years? We've seen unprecedented mo- easy monetary policy. We've just seen this mid-quarter adjustment. We've seen trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of global debt that are yielding negative. So you tell me, you want to look at the S&P 500 and say, success, mission accomplished? That's one way to think about it as it relates to your 401k. But it doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot to savers. And it doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot to your point about cap back. We have not seen a boom in capbacks and stuff like that. So to me, I just take a very so, different stance about it, thinking about it from 3,000 feet. If you're only looking at the S&P 500, have at it. It's amazing, up 25%. Before I bring in our next guest, and, and, and to continue this conversation, it's, going to, it's, it's lively to begin with. It's going to get even more lively. So, so you're saying that the global slowdown is directly related to trade tension and specifically to the U.S.-China trade. No doubt about it. And then there's other deflationary forces that are existing in, the, in this globalized economy that we have that Trump doesn't like. It doesn't speak to what his base has been hurting about. But that's the way this thing is going. And don't think for a second that USMCA is nothing other than NAFTA 2.0, that very thing that was very easy for him to run on in this manufacturing belt in the middle of our country. It's not going to change a whole heck of a lot. And don't forget for a second that tariffs are the enforcement mechanism when these trade deals go bad. We've ripped up all the trade 
trade deals. We've excluded ourselves from them. We put tariffs on everybody. We've weaponized them for all the wrong reasons. The president was threatening tariffs on Mexico over uh, over immigration earlier this year. You forget that, okay? So this is not the way to do this. The economy is not going back to the 1920s, the last time that we had presidents railing against globalization. All right, let's bring in our next guest, uh, Mandy Zhu, uh, who is a uh, chief equity derivative strategist at Credit Suisse. Mandy, welcome. Good to have you here. Thank you. Great to be here. What do you, you've heard what we've just oh, yeah. been talking about. <laughs> React. Discuss. So- we saw on the, on, the, on the tests in college. Discuss. For sure. So I would absolutely agree that on the national level, economic data in the U.S. Is, has absolutely been great, whether you look at payrolls, GDP, etc. But I think the national data masks a huge regional disparity. And I thought actually on the topic of trade, the most interesting study that came out recently was a Federal Reserve report showing going into next year, seven states are forecast to go into contraction. Right, despite the great national data, seven states forecast to go into contraction. What are those seven states? Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. Sound familiar? Right? I think going into a 2020 election, these are the states that Trump carried in 2016. He's facing pressure. Right? What he's done with the trade war is create a manufacturing slowdown that has disproportionately hurt the Rust Belt. And I think that's why right now, actually, he's feeling the pressure to get something done on trade that maybe he wasn't feeling at the beginning of this year. Very interesting. Do you, this has been a year of relative, to me at least, yeah. I don't know if you guys can disagree or, or whatever. This has not to me been a particularly volatile year. Right. Right? Oh, especially following last uh, year. 2018 yes, was, and, and, and 2017 was not. Yes. Uh, and this year has gone back to a, Historical a, a sort of quiescent phase. Yeah. What do you think of, of 2020 and how do you play that? How do you trade that volatility? Sure. So I think our view going forward is still constructive, despite markets at all-time highs. Uh, and I say we are constructive on two factors. So first, economic fundamentals, right? So the manufacturing slowdown that we mentioned before, our house views that it's going to bottom this month and pick up going to next year. That's going to be good for risk sentiment. That's going to be good for stocks. Uh, and the second reason I'm bullish or you know, constructive at this moment is that despite markets being at record highs, Investors haven't really participated in this rally. Positioning has been extremely defensive. Uh, we see it, for example, in the hedge fund data. Most hedge funds, you know, recent months, they've covered their shorts. They haven't added to longs. Net exposure still very muted. On the option side, particularly, we're seeing very robust demand for downside hedges, almost to record levels throughout the uh, curve. So whether you're looking at short-dated hedges or longer-dated hedges, everyone is focused on downside risk. Uh, and to us, that has... And so that gives you an option opportunity to, to, to get in. Exactly. So historically, when we've looked at it, when positioning has been this offsides in the options market, that's been a contrarian signal. Markets have tended to actually rally going forward when we see this much demand for downside risk. Seems a little counterintuitive, but I would say, you know, when the risks are priced in, when everyone's focused on the downside, it's the upside that's the shock. Andy makes a great point. It's great to have her here. It's her first time here. Wonderful. Welcome. Welcome. We're glad to have you here. She's effectively saying, you know, with everybody focused on it going lower, the market can't. If everybody's waiting to buy the dip based on those hedges they've put on, it's gonna. It's counterintuitive, but it makes perfect sense that the market wants to go higher. I happen to agree with her. Listen, there's no denying that the market's only gone up now for the last 18 or so months. The quick pushback to you is you mentioned the the effect that these tariffs have had on the economy. I, I'm not an economist, but I think the only thing that President Trump watches, in my opinion is the stock market. And the stock market's at an all-time high. That's what he's laser-focused on. So in my opinion, he feels like he has some chips he can play with in terms of what happens over the weekend. And amidst all the trade tension, the market's up, what, 24% this year? It's not so bad. Not, <laughs> n- n- not so bad. 
Is Guy the most welcoming person ever? Yes. He's a big <laughs> greeter, a big hugger. He just, yeah. he brings everybody in. He I'm not a nice person. No. Can I tell you something? Don't, don't confuse yeah. the issue. No, mean as yeah. a snake. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, folks. Yeah. All right, Mandy, thank you very much. We thank appreciate you, you being be here. here. Awesome. And I'm an inclusive, welcoming guy, too. Yes. Don't get me wrong. Usually. Uh, usually, off. usually. More bad news for Boeing. We'll tell you what held that stock in the red today. And later, it's the downgrade that rocked Wall Street and shaved almost $4 billion from Netflix. What did the analysts say that spooked the street? We'll have that one and more ahead. We are live from Times Square in New York City. There is much more fast money right after this. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story. Asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. We are following two big stories on Boeing. First, the company announcing new orders numbers. And second, a former Boeing employee who says he flagged problems with the 737 MAX plane is gearing up to testify in front of Congress tomorrow. Phil LeBeau is in the nation's capital with more on all of this. Hi, Phil. Hi, Tyler. Let's start first off with the order numbers for Boeing. A little bit of good news here. They had 11 net orders, 11 positive orders for aircraft uh, in the month of November. And for the MAX, really the first time this year we've seen some positive order flow, two orders for 30 planes. Those are firm orders, by the way. We haven't really seen that this year. But overall for the year, they're still net negative 84 planes. That's how much the backlog has dropped off this year, mainly because they haven't racked up any orders or very few orders for the 737 MAX, and they've had cancellations and conversions. The news is not as good when it comes to deliveries. The company this year through November has delivered 345 commercial airplanes. They might get up to 370 by the end of December nowhere close to what they did last year and nowhere close to the 800 that Airbus is expected to deliver. By the way, on pace for the fewest deliveries since 2008. As you take a look at shares of Boeing and Airbus, we have talked about this time and again, guys. It's all about cash flow and the fact that Airbus will deliver, what, close to 800 airplanes this year. Boeing, maybe 370. They're waiting for the MAX to be recertified. And speaking of that recertification, that decision rest largely on the shoulders of the head of the FAA, Steve Dixon. He will be testifying on Capitol Hill tomorrow about how the FAA has handled the MAX. But before he goes to Capitol Hill, he'll sit down and talk with us exclusively on Squawk Box, 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. You don't want to miss what he has to say. And also at that hearing, it won't be part of Steve Dixon's uh, panel, but the panel after him, that's when uh, congressmen will be hearing from a whistleblower and others Talking about their concerns, Tyler, when it comes to 
the workmanship at the Boeing plant in Renton, whether or not they really compromised safety as they were ramping up production over the last couple of years. And the pace of, uh, of deliveries that was apparently right. setting a very uh, quick work pace. Phil LeBeau, thank you very much. You bet. We know you'll be covering it uh, uh, for us tomorrow. I can't imagine how you quantify the damage. I mean, you can look at market cap. You can look at lost orders. You can look at a company that delivered 800 planes last year is going to deliver 360, 370 this year. How do you how do you quantify the damage that's been done to Boeing? How do you measure confidence? You can't. Yeah. Is the short answer. I mean, so people say the stock has performed well in the wake of this, and I understand that argument, but it's still down 20 or so percent from when this took place back in February with an S&P 500 at all-time highs. And we've talked about this. I get things wrong. Every night on this show, but one thing we've gotten right is the fact that this stock is now vacillated between 340 and 375. And we thought it would go back to 375 a few weeks ago. That's exactly where it stopped. Now I think it does the round trip and trades back to 325. You have to be betting on the broader market now and a basically a, a no headline risk over the next couple of weeks to be bullish. And I think that's all you're going to see is headline risk in Boeing going forward. We had a guest on a very fine program called Power Lunch. Have you it's ever a great show. show. Yeah, yeah. every two day. Two to three. Show. It's a great cap. Price target of 520 on Boeing. That's a, what, 50% move from where it is right now. Anybody see that in the cards for this stock? I mean, I guess if they get, you know, right away, they get, they're hoping for certification, what, December. Um, if they get the planes out and flying by February or February is probably a little bit aggressive. Yeah, I think most of the And Ameri- orders just flow in. And the public is delighted to fly on a 737 they would don't you? give it would a second you? thought. I, I'm a nervous liar. So, yeah. No. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's, yeah, but, you know, uh, many people would fly on it. I would be a little, I'd, I'd wait a long time. I would time. never have checked the equipment on a flight right. before. Never. I'd have no hesitation. Now, you would have no absolutely hesitation. Absolutely no hesitation just based upon what we've seen in front of us so far in terms of, of, of the airlines, who was flying them, what their hours were, all the rest of that, and all this. The other thing I'd say in terms of a measure of confidence right now, Tyler, is you'd have to look at it this way. Look at where the stock's trading. That's, that's the measure of confidence that I've got. This stock should not be trading at the levels that it is presently, given the numbers that we were just talking about. You just quoted some of those numbers, what their deliveries are and some of the, what's come off the log. This is a pretty impressive thing, and I think part of it, though, helps them out as a duopoly. And the stronger market, to your point, Guy. But those, that combination, look at where this stock is trading right now. It's been amazing. And you it see it as a vote of confidence. Me. I do. That it's not I, a lot lower I than it is. I absolutely do. All right, we're going to take a quick uh, market flash on Dropbox dropping after hours. And Deidre Bosa has the story from the West for us. Deidre. Hey, Tyler. C-suite changes at the cloud platform. Shares are falling in the after hours extended trade. Now, Dropbox chief customer officer, Yamini Rangan, stepping down effective January 3rd, should receive a transition payment of half a million dollars. And this comes just a few months after the company's CTO, uh, Quinton Clark, announced his departure. But the big picture here, guys, is that Dropbox is really struggling to convert free users to paid users um, that, at the pace that investors would like to see. Also, its gap losses are worsening and revenue growth has largely decelerated over the last year or so. The company is now trading at $17.15. It IPO in 2018 at $21. Back to you. All right, Deidre, thank you very much. Deidre Boza reporting on Dropbox. Is there a trade here? Quickly, DBX, so the August 21st low, I think, if memory serves, watch this, was $17.20, which is exactly where we are now, traded down there on pretty huge volume. So what's the point? Point, if this can hold that level tomorrow, it might be an interesting trade. It's, I'm going to say this, I can't even believe I'm about to say this. It's expensive. 
it's not ridiculously expensive, and this might be a decent trading opportunity tomorrow if it can somehow hold effectively 17 bucks. Any other thoughts on Dropbox? Let's drop box, right? We'll DBX, Ty, that's how it DBX. comes out. Let's go back to Boeing for all the latest on Boeing. From the orders to the whistleblower hearing tomorrow, you can find it all out at CNBC.com. And there's a lot more coming your way on Fast. Here's what's up next. The streaming wars are heating up. And one analyst says first mover Netflix could face some fire in the new year. But will offerings like the Irishman be its savior? Plus, why the Nike swoosh is getting poo-pooed by big baseball fans. We'll bring you those stories and more when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. All right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Needham putting the chill on Netflix today. It is our call of the day. Analyst Laura Martin saying 4 million U.S. subscribers are at risk if the company doesn't create a lower price tier to compete with the likes of Disney, Apple, and the ever-growing list of names entering the streaming space. Our very own Julia Borson is in L.A. with more. Hi, Julia. Tyler, Laura Needham from Laura Martin from Needham recommending that Netflix offer a five to seven dollar a month subscription option to compete with CBS All Access and Hulu, which both offer two price tiers. Take a listen. There's 30 million people that have never taken Netflix in any form because it's too expensive and they don't want to break the law. So getting some of those people to sign on to Netflix. Plus, I think in a marketplace, you must have a response to Apple and Disney at five to seven dollars a month. You can't just have a thirteen dollar response. This comes as today Netflix's chief content officer, Ted Sarandos, announced that The Irishman, the Martin Scorsese movie that was an exclusive to Netflix, has been viewed by 26.4 million Netflix accounts. Netflix counts a view as one of their subscribers completing at least 70 percent of the three and a half hour long movie. Netflix projecting that 40 million subscribers will complete 70 percent of the film in its first four weeks. Now, investors are waiting to see whether new streaming services will eat into Netflix's subscriber base with all eyes on Disney Plus, which launched a month ago, and NBC Universal's ad supported Peacock, as well as HBO Max, both of which are launching next year. Now, also today, AT&T COO and Warner Media CEO John Stanky saying HBO Max aims to appeal to a much broader demographic 
than Disney Plus, which is focused on younger viewers. HBO Max has been investing in originals for teenagers, 20-somethings, and adults as well. And when it comes to the Golden Globes, though, Netflix is winning so far. Yesterday, Netflix swept the nominations with 17 nominations in both the film and TV categories. Netflix beat HBO by two nominations in the TV category. Tyler? All right, Julia, thank you very much. Uh, let's talk about our favorite picks in the streaming area. You get to go for Why not? Why not? Well, <laughs> I, you know, Laura Martin, who made the comments on Netflix, she also made comments on Roku, and she increased her price target from 150 to 200 These guys set up well to be the content aggregator out there, and I happen to agree. You can't get behind Roku on valuation. I totally get that, but that's been true since it was $80, back to 160 back down to 100 It's a volatile stock, but if anybody's going to win here, I think Roku could. I understand if you want to avoid it on valuation. I totally get it. Uh, if, if you think it, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, rewind, I mean, rewind that. If anyone's going to win here, I think it could be Roku. Yes! I that, just said that I've has been never been said before in financial media before. I mean, seriously, listen, throw Roku devices on the scrap heap of tech like your Fitbit and your TiVo and your GoPro and everything like that. This thing is not going to be one of the big winners in the streaming wars. It's a piece of hardware. They're trying to be it's a hardware. platform. It's a distribution so who's device, right? Who's well, the, the winners are obvious. It's the content and the guys who vertically integrated. We know what AT&T has done as far as the distribution that they have and then the content that they just acquired. We know what um, you know Disney has been doing over the last five years, been in the penalty box. Now it's coming out. And I think it's really interesting. Obviously, Comcast, the parent of this network, is just said they're going to spend $2 billion to kind of build out their streaming thing. So those are the winners because they have all the content. Netflix, though, interestingly enough, that we know that they lost ads in North America in the Q2, and that hit the stock kind of hard, one of the reasons why it's underperformed. We know that Q3 ads were disappointing in North America, and globally, they're decelerating. Why? They don't have the content. It was like the Thanos snap, all the Disney stuff, the Marvel stuff, the Pixar stuff, the, st- the Lucas stuff. It's all going away. And what are they left with? They're going to be left with a, a, literally an offering that should be $5 for your kids who don't know what the heck they're watching, you know what I mean, because they're little zombies on their iPads, that's what this thing is going to be relegated to, because the Irishman was unwatchable. Can I interject? Three and a half like, hours so you of think unwatchable garbage that they spent $200 million. Or $2 million. Dan said that. For a Thursday Dan night, you're in a... He is. He is fired today. Every yeah. Thursday he comes out like You know, so yeah. what is this? What month? what month is this? December, right? What month is it? 2019. Yes, so last year, December was 2018. Yes. Yeah. So you might want to go back and look where the Roku was trading then. It's amazing. You've it's had a an $25 amazing stock. You've had an $25 amazing dollar stock. We're to close today there, funny man. But this goes back to what we're talking about. Just because the price action is such doesn't mean that it's a thing. I mean, look at the short interest. Look at the, it's a cult thing. I mean, have at it. You get a favorite pick in the streaming area. I do. I mean, I think it's hard to compete against Disney when they're all in, right? They are all in. And so I'd also, you know, I think the piece was interesting about Netflix. And to the extent that they lose U.S. subscribers, that's what the stock really reacts to. So if that's her theory, which it is partially, and that international subscribers are about a third is profitable, and that's where all the growth is. You can see how Netflix where have competition from every side now, as well as the raw material costs, which are content, going up, up, up. 
Hard that's for, not hard a, for a parent with small, right. with young kids to say no to Disney Plus yeah. at that price point, whatever it is, four ninety five or Tyler. Disney real quick, I'll just tell you this: and Hulu, it's, I, I own Disney for the exact same reasons you. Disney Plus and all the rest of it is going to be a great boost to them, I think. Netflix, I think, is still a buy because of the fact that everybody's focused on U.S. I'm not as concerned about the U.S. I think they churn for a while. Maybe they lose a few. It's international. It's India. It's the content that they're developing in those those other countries that's going to be it. But seventeen Golden Globes. Movies and TV, giddy up. All right, let's go. Uh, we'll leave it there. Coming sure. up, Content. losing energy. We're not. We're going dumpster diving in the beaten down energy sector for a pick that could spark your portfolio. That name is ahead. Plus, check out Lulu Lemon, nearly doubling this year. Coming up, why one options trader sees it stretching even higher. You didn't say that. I did. You I don't know. have to read it. I just don't have to read this stuff. Do do Stick around. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a double play for you in sportswear. Mm. First to Lululemon, the stock running away from the pack this year, outperforming names like Nike, Adidas, and Under Armour. Lulu reports earnings after the bell tomorrow, and options traders are betting the stock could stretch even higher. There's that word again. Realm startup founder Roger De Silva is back with us to break down the action. What did you see today, and what's the trade here? Yeah, uh, the options are implying about an 8% move, which is a little cheaper than the last few quarters. Call it 9%. What that tells me is you have a lot of people positioning for upside with two and a half times the calls trading over the puts. Not front month, but more in the Jan options, specifically the Jan 250 calls, about 1,400 traded today, uh, 14, uh, about 4,200 in the open interest. That tells me that's a classic stock replacement trade. So stocks had a tremendous run, as you'll see in the chart, and Traders are saying, I'm going to take profits in the stock. I know Guy's a buyer of the pants, maybe not the stock, uh, and they want to protect their downside in the calls. So that's Reactions. what we see. Well, it's, it's interesting. So when he talks about the applied move, he's basically talking about the at-the-money straddle. That's the call and the put in the weekly options. And what does that equal? About $18. If you take $18 to the downside of where the stock's trading, that's back to where it broke out, like just a few weeks ago to these new highs. So to Roger's point, this stock has been on this massive breakout here. Um, and I think the options market is probably getting it correct a little bit as far as the potential movement up or down about 20 bucks. I would say what makes the most sense, quite honestly, is a stock replacement makes sense now. Lulu's been on an absolute tear to the upside, right? You talked about the outperformance that it's had. So why not? I actually still own the stock, but why not, if you choose to, get out of the stock but still have an option position that gives you some upside with the limited risk of whatever you paid for that, that's your entire risk, Tyler. So you get a big whoosh to the downside like you're talking about. You're just going to lose whatever it is that you paid for those calls. That's your total risk on the trade. And... If it continues to the upside, you've got the kicker of having those calls. We have gotten the verb stretch, tear, straddle <laughs> into this whole thing on. with the, the yoga pants. This is, a, this is a serious stuff. Roger, thank you very much for being here. Thanks, Roger. And just man. one, thing, one go, thing before go. I go, I just want to say happy birthday to my little guys. They're turning five and seven this week. So happy oh, birthday, wow. Drake and Zayver. Happy birthday to them. Sagittarians. That's wonderful. Dad. Congratulations. Is that like the half man, half, 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 half man, half action. force? You catch a full show Friday at 530 <laughs> Eastern uh, Time. Happy birthday to the kids. All righty, uh, let's uh, stick with sportswear now. We promise you a double play there. Baseball fans taking a swing at Nike after MLB unveiled its 2020 uniforms. That's my team, the Washington Nats, the Ooh, champs. Stop. The new gear prominently features Nike's signature swoosh logo on the front of the jerseys. Critics say the logo looks unprofessional and tacky, but that is not stopping the shares of the stock. 
It's burning higher this year, up more than 30 percent, sitting at all-time highs. Is Nike, Karen, a good bet here? And how do you feel about the swoosh on I, the shirts? I don't really have strong feelings about the Neither swoosh. Neither do I. I feel honestly. like it's a blip, and they paid for that spot would be my strong Yeah, I'm sure guess. MLB and made so some nice money there. that's the spot they're going to get, yeah. whether or not the fans like it. I like Nike. I mean, uh, this, uh, it's a little bit expensive, not crazy expensive. I mean, they've really been on a tear. They, uh, the momentum seems to be pretty good. I'm not long it, but I do like it. Thoughts on I Nike? like the name, but I do think it's, it's overstretched, quite frankly, to the upside. If you look at the multiple and the growth and you put that up against some of the competition, I think it's very expensive. I'd love to see this name on a pullback, but trading near $100 a share right now with the present growth rate that they've got, it's great what they're doing, but I still think it's overpriced. you have any reaction to the, to the swoosh on the jersey? You know, to be honest with you, I look at that and I say, you know what, that's what this whole thing has come about anyway. You watch TV, they put things out there in front of you graphically and everything else, so why not? That swoosh isn't so and if, so, if, First of all, you're ne- I'm a Nat fan. I well, mean, you is. couldn't pick a Nat player out of a lineup two uh, years ago. I mean, now I'm a Nat fan because they won the World Series, dollars. number one. And what's next? You have Chico's bail bonds on the back of the Yankees jerseys. It's sacrilege. Oh, stop it. God. And, okay, I mean, what are you don't talking okay about? Boomer me. Don't okay boomer me. Have you it's seen, have you seen the, the international soccer they got? Yeah, yeah, yeah I have. Exactly. The games are broadcast from the Mavis Tire broadcast booth. Everything is merchandise. Sell out. It's the 13th out. That means it's... But here's here's a bigger thought that this is the death rattle for baseball anyway. It's the oh, worst sport stop. on the planet oh, here. So you, you might as well plaster it on. You're there See, for the whole thing as it's going down. All right. Well, let, let's let's talk a little more baseball. It's 63 days until pitchers and catchers yep. report for spring training. Ooh, uh, but we're getting our own bullpen ready. Pete Najarian getting ready to uh, pitch a name that he thinks could fly high. He's taking the mound when fast money returns. The windup. And love it. Yeah. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Big news crossing on Chevron. The company just released its 2020 budget, and Chevron is lowering its long-term forecast for commodity prices and writing down the value of its assets by more than $10 billion. The stock slightly lower in the after-hours trading. And by the way, we're going to hear from Chevron CEO Michael Wirth tomorrow at 8.35 a.m. Eastern Time on Squawk Box. He'll answer all the questions. So uh, with these headlines, Pete says the stock could be warming up for a breakout. He's over at the Plasma with tonight's fast pitch. Pete, it's yours. Yep. And you talk about Michael Worth being on tomorrow. I tell you what, that's one of the biggest reasons why I really like this stock. When you look <coughs> at the management, Tyler, what I like most is I want to see some consistency. I want to see somebody who's been around the business, who's maybe been in this specific business. This gentleman joined Chevron 1982. He's been there ever since, and he's moved up through almost every single category you can imagine to get himself positioned to now be the CEO of this company. So that stands out for me. I think this guy understands every, every single aspect of the business. Now, when you look at the C-suite, they're in, his team is doing an unbelievable job. If you compare right now Chevron with Exxon, and by the way, I sold Exxon to buy Chevron. Why did I do that? Well, a lot of it has to do with that team that he has built over the years, streamlining the operations, being far more efficient, taking in a lot of revenues, but making more of that earnings than XOM is right now. So they trade at a really fundamentally at a very inexpensive. You're looking at a 16 or a 17 PE right now versus Exxon, which trades a little bit higher. Now, you also do get a dividend yield. It's about 4%. With Exxon, you're getting about 5%. But this is what I like about this company. If you take a look at this chart, the reason why the chart looks the way it does in terms of 
from being down here, even 115, it's been moving here to the upside. Now, has it made a huge move this year, year to date? Well, it depends on where do you want to start. Right here where it was, right here where it was, where do you want to start? But this is a company that I think is very strong. They can navigate, and the shale play is something that's going to be big for them going forward. Does anyone have questions for, for Professor? My quick Pete. question would be yeah. to the fact that they just ratcheted down the commodity prices. Yeah. Does that concern you in any way? Or you think they're just sort of sandbagging a little bit around what's going on in the world? Sandbagging, and I think they're also just trying to position themselves, Guy. I mean, right now, they have put themselves in such a great position. They're one of the strongest in terms of they make money anything over $51 a share. They're going to do extremely well. So I think it's something where they're just going out there with a bit of a warning going forward into the future in terms of the energy space. But the oil, as you know, it's a very vol- volatile commodity, no doubt. It is time to vote. Are you mm-hmm. buying Pete's pitch on Chevron? Karen, you get to go first. Well, I, I hate to vote against Pete, so That's I'm okay. not going to vote against oh, Pete. I'm just going to pass. That's just me oh, passing a Chevron stick. No, no, can you see that? Oh, yeah, it's you in the car there. Yeah, I, yeah. you know, it's a very good likeness. Um, I just, it's a commodity bet. I don't have a view on, commodity, on the commodity, so... But I would never bet against Pete. All right, Dan, you're up. So it's funny. I, I would bet against Pete. <laughs> and have. Uh, no, I, I actually, listen, I, I thought that was a very uh, good uh, bullish argument to buy it. He also said relative to Exxon. I, I'm just not a fan. I mean, I, I, I see this stock probably going back to 110 before it goes up uh, another, you know, $10 or something like that. So to me, you know, it's like pretty meh. Guy? <laughs> meh. Pretty meh. <laughs> I wrote... CVX is a valuation play. Conoco trades at 18. Exxon trades 18. CVX trades around 16 and a half, 17 times. It's in this pennant formation, which I happen to think will break out to the upside. So I would concur with Pedro on Chevron, Tyler. All right. So two out of the three judges vote no. But you still are going to get a ticket to Minneapolis, Pete. Oh, appreciate that? that, Tyler. We're going to give you a ticket. All right. The desk is voted. But are you buying Pete's pitch on Chevron? Cast your vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We will reveal the results later in the show on Chevron, folks. Mm. Coming up next, the home and car trade will break down the big moves in these two names. And as we head on out, take a look at our Kramer cam. Jim laying out his trade war playbook. He's got that and much more coming up on Mad Money at the top of the hour. We're live, just as we were about 49 minutes ago in Times Square. More Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. It was a tale of two stocks in the home and car trade today. And let's kick things off with AutoZone. That stock zooming higher after it reported better than expected quarterlies. And that was enough to send AutoZone shares to new record highs in today's session. Karen, do you have a take on AutoZone at 1250? Yeah, Whoa, 1250. that's 1250. I know. It's, I mean, it's an expensive stock. So an $80 move, you think, wow, that's a biotech kind of move. But on a $1,200 stock, it's not so much. But that was a great quarter and a very impressive. And remember, going back maybe a year and a half, there was the perception that they were going to be Amazon, you know, damaged terribly. And that has not been the case at all. So good for them. So 19, 20 times earnings, it's getting a little bit rich, but uh, not crazy. I mean, that's sort of a market multiple, and they've, they've done an excellent job. Up 73% in two years. Anybody else want to Well, what I love about AutoZone? that is the, 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 the Karen brings up the Amazon effect, right? Yep. Look at Best Buy. They're still doing pretty well. They're going to highs all the time. And then you look in the grocery space. Everywhere that Amazon has gone and supposedly killing everybody, Target, Walmart, they're doing well as well. So it, it shows you, you can compete. You just have to write, have the right CEO, which AutoZone does. All righty, let's move on to from the garage to the home. Mm. The foundations are looking a little shaky for Toll Brothers, for whom the 
toll bells. Shares falling almost 4% today, with analysts flagging weaker-than-expected guidance from the company despite yesterday's earnings beat. Home builders still up 40% this year, but, Dan, you flagged one chart that could signal troubles for the group. Well, yeah, I mean, I I think it's interesting. I mean, listen, toll, uh, obviously, is a high-end home maker here. And if you just want to plot the mortgage rates, uh, 30-year mortgage versus new home sales, you see that new home sales have been rising pretty steadily this year as mortgage rates have been going down. And then you see a company like this that they guide weak on their margins and they talk about some weak uh, demand in places like California, you kind of start scratching your head a little bit. So that down 5% today could be the start of something, especially after that jobs data that we got on Friday, if that suggests that rates are probably done going down in the intermediate term, um, you might see mortgage rates going up, which will affect demand. Stock was a $35 stock in August, traded up to 41 in a straight line. I mean, I think valuation's compelling. I think you buy it at 38. That's the retracement. And this stock has been volatile now for quite some time. It's a great trading stock. So despite all the things that Dan just said, and he made an extraordinarily cogent, cogent. argument. Cogent. Yeah. I knew you were going cogent. cogent. Yeah. So, Dan, would you be cogent. anti all of the home builders? Well, it's funny. Look at that chart. When you see that new home sales spike, when rates go down, when rates go up, they come in. You know, 2018 was not a great year for the home builders. They were really underperforming. And when the market fell out of bed in Q4, so did home builders. The fact that Toll Brothers was up 25% in lockstep with the S&P 500, but underperforming many of its peers and many of the ETFs that track the, uh, the indice, it was basically telling you that this thing probably had some headwinds. So I'm just not you a like fit. the lower end yeah. builder? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, is that because of the market niche there? Yeah, right? because they're the higher end, obviously. I, I don't, I, I don't dislike or like any, I don't, you, you know, like I, I just thought it was an interesting data point. How's that? Dan doesn't like anything. I That's not true. Oh, no. Sit around trading home builders all day? You know what I mean? Like, come on. No kidding. Really? Dan knows a lot. That's, that's, that's By the way, that's, that's Regis, Regis Philbin Tower. He's a that huge, yes. oh, huge, huge, huge fashion fan. And I, I think I'm his favorite trainer on the desk. It might be. Yeah. It was Cody. One of the nicest guys. All right, still ahead. It is your last chance to vote in our Twitter poll. Are you buying Pete's Chevron pitch? Weigh in at CNBC Fast Money, the results, and the final trade when we come back. All right, uh, time to, drum roll, time to reveal the results from Pete's Fast Money pitch on Chevron. Sorry to say, Pete. You know what? You struck out the majority. Tony's been a good contraindicator. Tony has been a great contraindicator. Yeah, majority of our people say the pitch was a swing and and a miss. Well, they know. Sorry to hear it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's okay. Time for our final trade. Let's go around the horn, and we'll begin with you, Pete. You know what? I listen to the people. People in this case are wrong. CBS, baby. Giddy up is going on. Doubling down. Karen, you're up. Yes, I'm up. All this talk about the streaming wars. I I like Disney. I like the valuation. I like their position. I think they're going to be a very viable competitor. There is sort of no company that knows how to make money from more things in more ways than Disney does. I guess you like Netflix. No, I, I don't. Yeah, and, and I don't like Netflix. <laughs> oh, you were paying attention there. I was paying attention. For all the reasons that she likes. Uh, listen, if you thought Netflix had a bad year this year, it's going to have a bad year next year. So I'd not be this guy. Remember coming to America, Eddie Murphy said, in the face. In the face. Well, in Dan's face, Roku, sucker. And Roku. thanks for being Back here, at Tyler. <laughs> Tyler, excellent job. Well, excellent. Had, that was the hangover. Thank in the face. Nice. Remember being welcoming yeah. one and all. <laughs> Alrighty, that does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Kramer right now. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.